Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary summer things are roses in my garden, a dash through the lawn sprinkler, and fresh corn on the cob, grilled. And a few of mine are watermelons so sweet that the juice runs down your face and stains your elbows, campfires that smell of sweet pine cones, and vanilla-flavored iced coffee with cream that can crack any face into a grin. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. So, Christy, after like what feels like three months of summer, (laughs) it was just the official start of summer (laughs) this past week, right? Because it was the summer solstice, which I would have had no idea, except that I saw it on your Instagram stories. So, thank you for educating me and my people. (laughs) That's right. I really get a kick out of those days when those solstice days or those, well, you know, I love calendars. I love rhythms. I love all of it. So you should have seen me, Lisa Joe. I'm so um, grateful that we had sun here on Saturday because all day I was out in the sun and I was telling my kids, guys, enjoy it. This is the longest day of the year. This is the first day of summer. We're going to get more sun today than any other day. <laughs> but just like you said, my youngest, um, at some point during the day, she was hearing me say this and she got this horrified look on her face. And she said, People have been lying to me. I thought it had been summer for a long, long time. <laughs> You're like, Elsa, we all feel that way right exactly. now. <laughs> Long, longest summer already. <laughs> longest oh, summer like ever already. summer we're all entering right now. Summer, like, I feel like that go. day just marked halfway. Like you've had half of summer and here comes yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. So we told summer stories on the podcast last week. That was a lot of fun. We told stories about sticky, sweet, wonderful, uncomfortable aspects of summer. And I do think, Lisa Jo, I have a few, I have some more summer stories to tell, but these might be more uncomfortable. Mm, They might be more uncomfortable. I, I, as you and I were preparing for this conversation today, that is how I felt. (laughs) And, but I realized that anybody who is a lover of understanding somebody else's perspective on the world It's why we love books. It's why we love memoir. It's why we love good movies. Because I guess I think about that really great quote from To Kill a Mockingbird, Mm -hmm. where they talk about being able to walk around in somebody else's shoes. And so stories are such a powerful way to be able to do that. And so actually two weeks ago, we shared some of our favorite authors, poets who are Black writers in order to walk around in their stories. Mm -hmm. But you and I, as we were preparing for today, realized we hadn't actually shared any of our own stories in this conversation that really the nation is having. But it's one thing for a nation to have a conversation. It's another thing for two friends to sit down and share their own stories. And I know everybody listening will have their own Uh stories too. And what we always hope to do on the podcast is invite you to remember all over again how beautiful your stories are, how powerful, even when they're sad or mm-hmm. broken or painful, yeah. they're powerful and they change us. It's the ordinary stories really that make up a life. So today we wanted to sit down and unpack some of our own somewhat uncomfortable, awkward stories mm-hmm. and hope you stick with us for this <laughs> conversation. That's right. 
And I think the other thing I love about stories, but also makes me nervous, whatever the stories are about, Lisa Joe, is that when we tell stories, uh, we don't always know where they will lead us. We don't yes. know. Stories are unpredictable. They're unpredictable, right? They aren't like other messages we might write out or like propaganda where we know, hey, this is my message. You know, this is the point I want to get across. Stories are unpredictable and we don't know where they'll take us. So I think too, that can, that makes stories wonderful. It makes stories worthwhile, but it isn't a way to necessarily protect our hearts and control our message. We have to be sort of open when we tell stories and when we listen to them. So, but I think that's something that you and I have grown in as we've shared stories on this podcast. I imagine our listeners as well as they've received our stories so well that they have um, grown in that ability. So I was telling stories this week with my kids, Lisa Joe. I was telling um, some summer stories because not only did we just have the summer solstice, but just before that, June 19th, is a holiday I'm familiar with that more people in our country have become familiar with called Juneteenth. And it was new for me. I think over the years of living in America, I've heard the phrase, Mm -hmm. but I certainly haven't dug into it. And this year was the first time I actually felt like, wait, what is the story behind that? And why have I not heard it before? So I woke up that day and I did that thing on Instagram where you can just search for a hashtag. Uh And so I pulled up everything to do with Juneteenth and just read for ages, like looking, reading, learning. Peter was lying in bed next to me. I kept reading things out loud to him like, did you know this? Did Mm. you know this? And Again, what I love about the conversations you and I have is that there might be stories happening on a national level, Mm -hmm. but then I love that I can come to my friend who grew up in Texas and ask her, what was your story related to this? What could you teach me? Because I am still learning about Juneteenth. Well, I, you know, that's, I think, what I was exploring as I was telling my kids about it, because sadly, Lisa Joe, even though I grew up you know, familiar with Juneteenth and grew up in Texas, I'd never talked to my kids about it. And we can lose touch with our own stories that way, especially maybe when we've we've left the place where those stories are rooted. I no longer live in Texas. My children have never lived there. Um, they haven't spent a lot of time there. And so I just hadn't passed that story on. So yeah, I was telling my kids, you know, today is this day, Juneteenth, and and telling them about it. And so I was telling them, you know, a few facts, right? There's certainly better places you can go to online to get all the facts, and maybe we'll put some good links into our show notes. But, you know, just the bare bones of the, of the story is that on June 19th in 1865, a general, a Union general, made it all the way to Galveston, Texas, on the coast of Texas, not far from where I grew up. And he brought the message to the enslaved people there that they were now free, that they had been free, but it had taken the news of that freedom a long time, I think even maybe two years, to travel all the way to the enslaved people in Texas. And so ever ever since, Texans, but really especially Lisa Jo, uh, African-American Texans celebrate Juneteenth as their Freedom Day, a kind of another kind of like July 4th, really. And so I grew up summers in Texas, I can remember um, around Juneteenth, Often, I think because I was at pools, I spent a lot of time, you do in Texas, at, you know, local community swimming pools and so at parks. And then when I was older, I worked as a lifeguard. So I was 
always, all summer long, I was at city parks and around city pools. And so for Juneteenth, there would always be large gatherings um, of families, like almost look like big family reunion parties um, in our local parks. And I can remember seeing joy and seeing celebration and seeing that like festive spirit. But I, I also remember standing outside of that circle and observing. I wasn't inside the party because at least at that time in the town where I was growing up, um, the white people I knew, and I am white, we didn't celebrate Juneteenth. I thought, and I'm sure my understanding was limited, but as a child, I thought, oh, that's their wonderful holiday. It's not my holiday. And while there's some truth to that, it was really interesting to talk to my kids this week about Juneteenth to say, hey, guys, more people are finding out about this, talking about this. Um, different cities and states are acknowledging Juneteenth as a, as a holiday for all of us. Do you think it's a holiday for all of us? I think it's a holiday for all of us. I think that freedom story that meant so much to those enslaved people also means something to me as a white American. It's also a day that I celebrate as a beautiful, necessary step in the story of my country. Um, what do you guys think? What would it look like for us to celebrate? And it was so different <laughs> and good for me to not only tell the story of Juneteenth, but also to tell that harder part that it was a joy I only witnessed as a child, but I, I felt like didn't or couldn't belong to me. I, I couldn't participate or I wasn't supposed to participate. I, I, I'm not even sure what, what you know, how I, I, I understood it in my head, but to be able to tell my kids, um, our country is talking about this now and you're invited into it. Like you're invited to say, yes, this day matters. This is an important part of our story um, because holidays are one of the ways that we tell stories, right? <laughs> right, right. And I think it's interesting that you felt an awkwardness as a child yeah, and yeah. and we can feel that way as adults still when we have these mm -hmm. conversations, especially as white people who are trying to figure out how to be allies. Mm. I think that's a word that's meant a lot to me mm. in the last few weeks as part of the national conversation, but then when I talk to my own kids. And I like that word. I think a biblical word is with, you mm. know, like withness is what it means to be an ally, to come and be alongside, to be present with, to bear witness to. And, and so when I thought about Juneteenth really in the context of what's been happening in America, mm -hmm. I realized for me too, gosh, knowing what happened is about saying I'm with, I recognize, mm. I see the pain and the waiting and then I, I understand now why there would be this huge need to celebrate this pivotal shift yeah. in the story of America, because that's what's happening. And as someone who didn't grow up in the U.S. and doesn't have a lot of the context, I think, for a lot of the conversations, yet I grew up in a country that has its own really difficult history. So South Africa obviously has got, you know, one of the most notorious tragic histories when it comes to segregation and as we've walked through these times here in the U.S. I know one of the things I worry about just in the same way we worry here on the podcast is you don't want to say the wrong thing mm -hmm. right I think like probably everybody listening has had that feeling in the last few weeks like, I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't want to communicate badly I don't want to be misunderstood 
And I thought about that a lot recently. And it reminded me growing up in South Africa, when I look back as an adult, you know, that was a radical transformation, historic that happened when Nelson Mandela became elected. And it was also my 18th birthday and the first time I was a legally registered voter who could vote in the first election where our entire nation was able to vote for the very first time. And when I think back on those times, I realize now I worry less about saying the wrong thing. Hmm. And what I worry more about is just saying nothing. And one of my biggest regrets growing up in South Africa during apartheid was that I wasn't a more active participant against apartheid, that I wasn't a bigger ally, that I didn't lean into witness more. Because those are the moments that we get invited into kingdom change, you know, when when God is moving and he is bringing to light things that he knows need to change. And so during the season here in the U.S., part of what I've really leaned into in the same way that you're talking to your kids has been talking to mine. And I've told them a lot of my stories from South Africa that I've probably never shared before. Stories that I wish were different, stories that make me deeply sad, and said to them, in America now, though, you guys, we get to be with, we get to learn the way we are learning about Juneteenth. We get to we get to ask, we get to do research. And guess what? Like we actually can show up if we want to. And so one of the big things that happened for us in these first weeks leading up to summer, and this is not ordinary story, but it took place on an ordinary Saturday for us. You know, it really was ordinary in that sense. We live just outside Washington, D.C., so we're actually, we're closer to Baltimore than D.C., actually. But, you man, D.C. holds my heart on so many levels. Like, people will think this is weird, but I think it's a romantic city (laughs) because it's where Peter and I met and fell in love. So, like, people have very strong political feelings about D.C., but to me, it's the place where, like, I strolled past the Capitol when the cherry blossoms were in bloom. And like Peter kissed me at the fountain right outside on the Capitol grounds for our first kiss. And like we sat on the mall by the wash, by the National Monument and watched the fireworks on 4th of July. So like, honestly, like that city holds my heart in such a deep way. We love that city. I've walked almost every inch of it. We lived there as students, you know, when we dated. So you don't have a car, you have no money. <laughs> so like even riding the metro was extravagant back then. <laughs> like I'd be like, can I afford the dollar fifty metro pass or should I just walk <laughs> the 17 blocks today? <laughs> and most of the time I would walk. <laughs> uh, so I just have like this real affinity for that city. I love it so much. I think also as a foreigner, so somebody who became a legal alien here in the States and now a U.S. citizen. I love it too because it's the kind of city where when people ask where you're from and you say South Africa, then they don't ask you like, where is that? (laughs) Or, you know, like they've heard of it and they don't go, oh, you know, what country? And then you say South Africa and they go, yes, but which country in South Africa? And I'm like, no, no, South Africa is a country. (laughs) But there's just, you know, when we go to soccer games here, people are cheering in like five different languages. It's just, it's a place that's always felt home to me and that my sense of being from another country wasn't an obstacle. It actually was part of what I shared in common with people who are from here. So I say all that to say that, you know, in the last few weeks, as we've seen this national swell of outcry when it comes to racial justice and just this plea for there to be change, 
my children and I started watching the news. I've shared on Instagram quite a bit the way you have. And I deliberately decided that anything I shared on my social media, I wanted to have actually watched myself and watched with my children. Because I don't want to just be bombarding people (laughs) with ideas that I haven't actually spent time sitting with myself in the same way that you're talking to your kids based on your own stories. And I think our listeners, they know what that's like. You want to invite your children into stories that you are there in it with, right? There's that word again, with. (laughs) And so we had sort of spent several weeks watching, listening, learning together. And we were watching these protests that were happening in the wake of George Floyd's death that were happening all over the U.S. And my sons now are teenagers, and they kept asking me, is that happening anywhere near us? And of course it was. It's happening in D.C. And as the week progressed, I think we had those conversations like on a Monday. And as the week progressed, I started talking more and more with my husband and saying, I think maybe you should take the boys, you know, maybe you should take them in and go, like go on Saturday with them because what's happening is history in the making. And it was so interesting, Christy, each day I would wake up and there'd be like this fresh urgency in my heart. And I felt like each day I was stepping back into time in South Africa and asking myself, how am I participating? What am I doing? And I'll just pause to say, witness will look different for all of us. This is our story, okay? It doesn't have to be your story. But I would encourage you to ask yourself, like, what's what's our version of that? How am I being prompted by the Holy Spirit? And so I woke up, like, on the Tuesday, and I thought, Peter, you should you should go with the boys. And then, like, I woke up on the Thursday, and I was like, <laughs> wait, I think I'm supposed to go, too. But but then I started arranging, like, childcare for Zoe, right? She's nine, and I'm like, I don't think we should bring her. But she was so interesting. She had watched a lot of the videos. We had talked together about a lot of things. Um, You know, we were careful to do with her age. We were mindful about what we're sharing and that we're sitting with our kids and processing together. And she came to me on the Thursday night and said, um, she'd been out at a friend's house all day swimming. And she came in and said, mom, is there anything I haven't seen today? And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, you know, the news stories, how we're learning. Is there anything I haven't watched that I need to see today? And my heart broke wide open. And I said to Peter, I think Zoe has to come too. I think we're all supposed to go. And, you know, as as a family, you make those kind of decisions together, right? I, I was really also gauging what would Peter's reaction be. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because he just immediately said, yes, I think we should. I think we should all go together. And so we talked about what to expect. We talked about how DC is a city that's seen lots of protests over the years, how there'll be a lot of people, but we expect that there'd also be a lot of families there. Um, It was supposed to be very, very hot. It was in the high 90s and like insane humidity. DC has the worst humidity ever. And we packed like this backpack full of like water bottles. And so they're really heavy, but Peter said he would carry it because we knew the downtown area would be closed off. There wouldn't be anywhere to buy water or food. And we knew it was a long walk. And we we really didn't have a super strong plan, Christy. Like I, I don't have you ever, I have never walked in any kind of march or protest ever. No, not like that. Never. I, I mean, like I've never gone to a small one. Like I've <laughs> never gone to a medium. I'm nothing like that. Okay. We had no idea what to expect. All I can say, and I told you this that day, like in my heart, I knew that we were supposed to go. And for me, 
particularly having grown up South African, it was incredibly important to invite my children into this moment of history. And so it's kind of like you and I talk about, there are two narratives always working in the world. There's Mm -hmm. the larger narrative that's happening on the news. And then there's the narrative we live in our families, right? That become the stories our kids will tell. And you and I believe so strongly about inviting our children into stories. And so it was a day I'll remember forever for so many different reasons. Our kids asked such interesting questions. We had to wear masks, of course. I was really struck by how everybody wore a mask that day. I kept waiting as the day progressed and it got hotter and hotter. I kept hoping to see people without masks because <laughs> I wanted to take mine off so badly, but everybody wore them. You know, so Peter works right downtown on Capitol Hill. So we were able to drive all the way in. It was really easy. He, we parked at his offices and walked down to the Capitol. And I just love that city so much. You know, the Capitol is sort of at one end of the city, and then you have the Washington Monument down on the other side with the National Mall in between. And I have walked that stretch so many times over the course of the last 20 years of being with Peter. But when we got to the Capitol building, it's really where crowds of people were gathering. And then they marched from the Capitol all the way down Constitution to the White House. It is many, many miles on those main roads. And in all my years of knowing and loving the city, I have never walked down (laughs) Constitution Avenue in the middle of the street. It was so surreal. So I guess I'll just, I just wanted to share some snapshots from that day because I know people listening will have different thoughts and opinions about it. I'm just going to invite you into like what I always tell my kids when it comes to stories, like give the tactile experience. What was it actually like? You know, what's the touch, taste, feel, hear, smell of the day? So I'll say we were a little nervous when we arrived. You know, it's a huge gathering. It was one of the biggest marches in the country that day and in the world of people gathering. There are tens of thousands of people there. But there were tons of families. Mm. There are moms and dads with strollers, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, like all different demographics were represented. My kids, I we felt completely safe and we felt with When I asked my children, what did they take away from the day? One of the biggest things that my youngest said, she said, you know, in the world, mom, we all have different thoughts about everything, about what we believe, what politics we have, what political party. I mean, there's just so many, what language was we speak, where we grew up. But on Saturday for a few hours, we were all choosing to stand for the same thing. Mm. And that is that we want we want racial justice in America. And it was it was true. Like there we were in this huge sea of humanity. And what was interesting is Peter had actually dropped us off and then circled back to park. So, oh my gosh, when you're in that situation with tens of thousands of people trying to find your husband in the middle of like this insane march, he's like, step out of the march onto the grass by the Capitol and wait, I'm like several blocks behind you. So we got to stand there as we waited for him, with just a sea of people pouring past us. And it was one of those moments I will never forget. And there we are in one of the most powerful cities in the world. And people were chanting, this is what democracy looks like. And I know, I know that in protests across the U.S., there have been things that we don't condone, right? The violence or looting. But at the same time, to have tens of thousands of people gather in a city like D.C. and just use their voices. That is what democracy looks like, where people show up and say to their government, we want you to hear us in a new way. 
But at the same time, what was also happening just on a human level is it's so hot. It's so hot. There's nowhere to buy water. And I could cry just thinking about it. Christy, for every single one of those miles between the Capitol and the White House, the entire sidewalk was just lined with people who were just regular citizens, volunteers who'd showed up with coolers, with tents, with food, with water, and basically were like trying to force feed and force give you water (laughs) the whole length of the march. Especially if you had kids, people would run up to us in the middle of the road and be like, ma'am, you're doing okay. How are your kids doing? You need water? You need water? Mm. And do you need Gatorade? What do you need? Can we get you something to drink? Aww. And like black people, white people, Asian people, his, I mean, every different race was trying to force every other race to have <laughs> food and drink <laughs> for the entire march. Aww. And Peter finally told me, stop taking water from people. I'm carrying this backpack and it is very heavy. Like, please drink our water. <laughs> but I mean, we got to one section where they had you know, it was really hot and we were watching our kids to see how they were doing. And I realized they needed to eat something and we kind of stepped off. And there was this restaurant, I guess, must have set up because it was, they had all these sandwiches. And so everyone was being very mindful still about coronavirus. Uh, People were handing out sanitizer, masks. And so they had all these bagged sandwiches. And I asked, what is it? And they, I said, I I laughed so hard. It was like the fanciest protest food I've ever seen. They had cucumber and cream cheese sandwiches (gasps) with dill and kale. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what now? (laughs) And um, they also had peanut butter and jelly, uh, but Zoe was ecstatic. She loves a good cucumber sandwich. So there we are in the middle of this giant protest, and my daughter is nibbling on her cucumber and cream cheese sandwich <laughs> while everybody around her is trying to force more drink and snacks upon her. You know? I feel like we're ruined for any other protests in the future. <laughs> But just the humanity, like the shared humanity to say, we are with each other today. We would be walking in the street and like people would be running up to us and they would have packed like snack baggies. So it's like a plastic Ziploc and then inside of it would be like a juice box and chips and a power bar and just handing it out and... So we chanted, we listened. There were all the emotions, you know, there were ang- there was anger, there was sadness, there was frustration. There was never fear. There was just withness together. And at the very end, once we had walked all the way down to the White House and um, we had been on Black Lives Matter Boulevard and we had just been with, we had greeted people, we had been together and we were eventually so exhausted, our feet hurt so badly. Let me just Side note, always wear sneakers for something like that. I don't know why I thought sandals was a good idea. But as we were leaving and had to, we just knew our kids could not do the several miles hike back to Peter's car. We had to get far enough outside the block that had been cordoned off for the protest to be able to catch an Uber. We were so hot and so tired. We had drunk all of our water. And there was just this moment that captured for me so perfectly what the day was like. We were walking toward the corner where we were waiting for our car. And somebody had just left out on a table in their yard probably six packs of water bottles and just packs and packs of snack bars just left there to help yourself. And it was this really beautiful moment where our kids were like, do you think we could, is it okay? And I said, yes, Mm -hmm. somebody has thought of us. And we were able to just sit on that corner and drink water and eat protein bars and be with one another as a family, but also with that city which means you're also with a nation, right? And so there are always smaller stories happening in the context of the bigger ones. And for me and my people, 
That's how we chose to experience withness that day. And I've heard stories from many other people who weren't in marches or protests, but the books they were reading or the podcasts they were listening to or the new people they were connecting with on Instagram. This is the power of choosing to say, even though I feel a little awkward or uncomfortable yeah. in this moment, I know I, I need to engage it somehow. How do I be with? And man, Christy, to me, you know, you say the summer solstice is the beginning of summer, but that day for us, I think, will stand out as summer 2020, yeah. that that day of walking with all of those fellow citizens in a moment of incredible heat and incredible humanity um, right here in a D.C. summer. <laughs> Lisa Joe, I will never forget <laughs> <laughs> the image of Zoe in her first <laughs> protest. I know. <laughs> Nibbling daintily a cucumber sandwich. <laughs> that is so perfect and so great. And I love also in that little detail, that precious detail, that you all had gone because you wanted to be with, and what you experienced is other people being with you. Yeah. Wanting to be with you and wanting to care for you because they knew you would be hot and you would be thirsty. And uh, you would be hungry and growing tired. So isn't that so often the case that we are nudged um, by God in us to go out of our comfort zone, to be with someone? Um, and so often it's because, you know, God um, is going to pour into us in return. It's not why you do it. It's just the surprise of it, right? Just the um, Just that loving surprise that... When we lean into hard things, uncomfortable things, because that's where God's leading, um, we'll experience God in those places. And it sounds to me like you experienced God's love in cucumber sandwiches and power abundance. bars. And <laughs> yeah, and it's humbling to receive that, you yeah. know, like you think you're showing up there, yeah. um, you know, awkwardly and not sure as a white person, am I supposed to be in these spaces or not? And then to experience just the abundant welcome mm. and shared, just a shared experience. And as much as you can, as a white person, try to access the grief and pain of our Black brothers and sisters. And I don't know that we ever will truly, but to, to bear witness and to say, I'm with you today. It was a really powerful experience. Um, and I'm so grateful our children were there. I'm so glad. I know that other parents would make other choices for their kids. But I do think when you feel that nudge as a parent, we have to follow it. You know, when you understand the thing God is asking you to be part of a story, when He invites us in, we just, we have to say yes, and we have to be willing to bring our kids along with us. And I have found children are wonderful because they're curious and they're interested and they ask all kinds of questions and um, they're just natural learners, mm -hmm. aren't they? Mm -hmm. They are. And I, I think the temptation for me as a parent, but just for all of us as we're interacting with these difficult subjects is to think, I'm the parent. I have the answers. It is my job to impart my knowledge. <laughs> and sometimes it is. But what I am finding lately is that the questions they ask often will shake something loose in me or reveal in me the things that I don't know or I'm not sure about, but I've been kind of pushing away so I don't have to deal with it. So that's what children's questions do. That's what telling stories 
can do. And so I, I definitely experienced that as well as I started talking about Juneteenth and realizing, oh, I want things to be different now. Okay, I want things to be different for my kids. I want things to be different for my country. Uh, and I don't know exactly how to do that or how to be involved in that or how even um, always to pray toward that. But there's an invitation there. So maybe that's it. Maybe these stories, they don't necessarily give us all the answers, but in each story, each real, honest, true, ordinary story, there's an invitation to move forward in our lives in some new way. I feel like, like a sto- okay, this is it. A story is like, uh, it's like a little mini journey. So here we are at the beginning of a story, but we're not the same at the other end. Um, and so I wasn't quite the same at the other, on the other side of telling my kids my own Juneteenth memories. Um, just as you weren't the same when you started that march <laughs> and when you finished it, we're moving. And so all of us, you and I right now in this country, our listeners, whether you are black or white, whether you're American or not, you're moving. You're moving. And I think even though we don't know always what the answers are, I think what we always want to leave our listeners with is to um, pay attention to the wisdom of your own stories and how they can guide you and um, and that to trust that God is in that, that God is in these stories and that He's using these memories and these experiences. If we pay attention, He's using them to lead us. So I, I don't know what this will look like for you and I going forward exactly to be with, to be with our fellow Americans in you know these conversations, to be with especially Black Americans, but there's an invitation. The desire is there. Yeah, and it's so necessary. And I realize I just recognize here too at the end of our conversation for our Black listeners, we know you've been living these stories much longer than us yeah. and you don't. One of the things I realized as I was sharing about the march um, on my social media and I was saying to what I recognize is probably a primarily white audience for me and explaining to them how I'm talking to my kids about what's happening as I was explaining and giving advice and encouraging them to share with their children, I realized I I have the privilege of choosing mm-hmm. to talk to my kids about this or not. Mm-hmm. And I just acknowledge for our Black listeners, they don't have that choice, yeah. right? This is their lived reality. This is their story that their children grow up with from yeah. the very beginning. And it was incredibly humbling to recognize that. And it's for that reason that I want to keep stepping outside of my own comfort zone because I want my children also to grow up knowing that these are stories that are so important Mm -hmm. and a lot of our nation doesn't have the choice not to talk about them Mm -hmm. because it's their lived reality. Mm -hmm. And so we're so grateful to have listeners that are black or white or non-American and who Mm -hmm. are growing up with all kinds of their own stories. They're trying to figure out and say, we don't do it perfectly, Christy and I. We haven't figured it out. Um, But I think the power is saying, I want to right? I'm going to be more afraid of saying nothing than of saying the wrong thing. And so, we know that no conversation can be perfect. We can't get it all right. We can't say all the ways we wish we could meet whatever listener is listening. We wish we were sitting having tea with you always would be our preference (laughs) as we have these conversations. And our prayer is that as you listen to this, that God will just gently illuminate in your own mind stories He wants you to step into. Every story is an invitation, like Christy says. And let's not miss out when we're invited to be with 
let's take that first step. No matter how hot or awkward or sticky or uncomfortable it is, we really have come to believe it's always, always worth it. Take that first step. That's good because living a good story is a journey and it requires stepping out. So here we go, stepping out. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.